morning. Good morning. Um, for, you know, I've been talking with some of you about this series and go, you know, Pastor Dave, this series is a hard one. You know, it's a hard one to kind of follow the teachings of Jesus as we go through the whole Sermon of the Mount. And, and you know, it kind of dawned on me what's going on here is when you take a look at what Jesus is doing, Jesus is taking us all on a journey on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? If you want to be my disciple, this is the way you got to think. If you want to be my disciple, these are the behaviors that you're supposed to have as my disciple, which is very different from the world. And at the end, and we're going to talk about this later, he asked for a commitment. But you know what our problem is? We ask for that commitment first. And we say the life of discipleship is all about having your sins forgiven. That if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll go to heaven. And they start off with the question, if you die today, do you know where you'd be? Right? And so that's the way we pitch Christianity. We start with the end. And then all of a sudden we go through the Sermon of the Mount and figure out, What Jesus is calling us to do and live, we go, oh my goodness, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for heaven. I signed up for forgiveness of sins. I signed up for, you know, having fun with fellow believers, but not this. And this is why I think it's difficult for us. Because we signed a contract in which we really didn't know what was expected of us. But that doesn't change the fact that There's a certain lifestyle that Jesus wants us to live. Whether you knew that when you signed down or not, you know, that's really not what we're talking about here. But the reason we're going through this is because so many people came to the faith under um, preconceived notions. And then we look at this, we go, man, this is just too hard. But Jesus will never ask us to do something that he won't give us the power to do. So this can, as hard as it is, you know, this kind of lifestyle can be accomplished. You know, for those of you who know me, you know I'm definitely not a fix-it guy. I can't fix anything to save my life. You know, my father was a professor at USC, so he was in the books, man. He wasn't fixing things, and the things he fixed never were fixed. They just got worse, and then we had to call a repairman, which made things even more expensive, right? And so, you know, this is summer season, well, summer season, what do you do? You barbecue, and I have a gas grill. And I was noticing that, hey, it's taking forever for things to cook. What's going on here? And my ignition switch didn't work. It wouldn't light. And then I, when it did light, I was noticing that all of those bars where the flames come through, there was a lot of rust there. And over maybe half of the holes were just rusted over, so no flames were coming up. And so I was looking, man, I'm going to have to purchase a new one. So I'm looking at it, and it's been a while since I purchased one. I go, whoa, these things are expensive. These things are expensive. I need to fix it. And I go, oh, I need to fix it. And so as soon as I realized that, it'd be a lot cheaper for me to fix it than to buy a new one. Just, oh, oh man, the anxiety level just rose like this, right? Because I remember one time I, I kind of turned on the gas, you know, and I left the lid on. And I didn't realize I left the lid on. And I pressed ignition switch and boom! I mean, the thing exploded. The lid just flew up. Flames just go all over the place. It blew me back about two feet, you know, and it's like, ooh, I, you know, I still have my eyebrows. That's a good thing. 
But, you know, fixing that, I said, oh, man, you know, I still have that picture. So I was kind of, you know, intimidated to fix this grill. But what do I do? Well, when you want to know how to fix things, what do you do? You go to YouTube, right? Look at a video. Okay, how do you look at my, I put in my thing, this is how you fix the grill. Order my parts from Amazon. And guess what? (laughs) My grill works. My grill works. Hey, praise God for that, you know? But, you know, there's a tremendous, tremendous uh, upside to technology, right? It, you know, it allowed me to figure out how to fix my gas grill. But technology also has its downside, particularly in the way we relate to God. You know, with technology, we can find all the answers and the solutions to our problems, right? We just Google it. Google anything, and hundreds of pages on a website pop up. That could help us, you know, whether it's advice, whether it's fixed things, whatever we need, let's just type it up. The information is right there. The problem is that we turn to technology for the guidance and direction while ignoring God. Technology is the source of our wisdom today and not God himself. The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God has been placed on the shelf only to be used in emergencies. Only in those situations where maybe we're sick and no matter how much information that we got, receive, it won't do anything for that. Or something happens in our lives relationally, right? We get our hearts broken or something happens, right? We, there's break or fracture in our relationships and we look it up. But guess what? We don't find the answer today. And today we're going to learn how to reconnect with God in the midst of this technological world, which I believe is really having a negative effect on our relationship with God. And as we walk and we journey through our faith and we realize why we're not seeing the power of God, we realize why we're not getting, God's not answering our prayers or we're not, see, we're not getting the wisdom from the Lord in situations, it's because what? We are ignoring him. And we've gone to a different source. Technology doesn't know our future, right? Technology doesn't have a plan for you. Technology doesn't know your gifts and how to use your gifts to allow you to serve in a way that's fulfilling. Technology doesn't love you as a child. God does all of these things. But God has been replaced with technology. Today we're going to be ending the trilogy on engaging in spiritual activities for public praise. The first one was um, a while back, Pastor Marco spoke on giving to the needy, where people would give to the needy just so everyone could see them and go, oh man, what a generous person. Wow, they're such a godly person because they give to the poor. And this is why people gave. So people would acknowledge that. Or prayer. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Marco talked about prayer. And a lot of times what people would do is they pray on the streets so everybody could see them. And once again, people would say, wow, look at that person. He is so spiritual. I wish I could be like him. He's praying with these words that, man, how does he get these words? And he's praying on the streets. But they were only being praised. They were only praying for people to um, see them and praise them. And today we're going to talk about fasting. And once again, people were fasting only to get 
the praise of, you know, others. But you know we're still doing that today, right? Don't we do things to get the praise of other people? You know, like social media, right? Whatever you post, you are very selective at what you post. Why is that? Because there is a certain image that you want people to see. You know, it's always like, whoa, look at them. They went to this restaurant. Whoa, they, they're at this place in Europe. Whoa, they're eating this. And it cracks me up that a lot of people, I always see them, and they're always posting an alcoholic beverage. You know, I don't get that. You know, I don't get that. They're like, it's okay. Yeah, I know, I know. And so what are you trying to tell us? Oh, I can afford this. It's a $200, bo- you know, cup of wine. I don't know. But isn't there an image that we want to portray. So we post that. And so when we look at that, we go, oh man, look at them. Look at them. Their life is so good. My life stinks. I wish I could have their life, right? But they don't post the places where they struggle, right? You know, you, know, you don't get a, a, somebody post, hey, guess what? I went on a two-day fishing trip and all I went on was a two-day boat trip. You know, and I've been on those before. You know, trust me, I don't tell people about those things when I get skunked, right? But boy, I tell you, if I get a big fish, you're going to know about it, right? But there's a certain image that we want people, because we want the praise of other people. We want to give people the impression that we are successful, at least more successful than them. And and that's why we do that. But amidst the, you know, there's nothing wrong with letting people know what you're doing. But if you're just doing it so people would just like praise you and be jealous of you and envious of you, yes, then there's a problem. Because when you take a look at even when the people were praying and people were giving the needy, God is concerned and has always been concerned with a motive. God has always been concerned about your inner self as opposed to the outward expression of that. You know, and see, you know, in Jesus' day, he was telling the people, look, you might think it's great to get the praise of people, but the God you worship couldn't care less about that. The God that you worship is concerned about the inside. The God that you worship is concerned about your motive. And so what Jesus was saying in these earlier things, if you are just doing these things to get praise, God is not impressed, and those acts are worthless to God. You don't get credit. And so when people praise you and say, well, look at Pastor Dave, he's out there praying, he's so religious, da 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 God is saying that's the only reward you're going to get because that's not the reward. That's, you're not going to be rewarded by me. You know, outside of idolatry, the greatest sin in both Judah and Israel in the Old Testament was hypocritical religion. The Jews were conquered and taken into captivity in large measure because they turned true worship of God into a phony mockery. Worship became, everything about their worship was just external. It had nothing to do with what's going on in the inside. But then, is that is happening in the church today? Believers today, is our worship of God merely just outward appearance? Hey, I go to church. Hey, I go to life group. Oh, I serve here. I serve there. You know? But inside, inside, there's really no devotion 
or desire to become more like God, to obey God. It's all external. And so we're going to take a look at the last part of this trilogy. And so if you have your Bible, could you turn with me to Matthew 6.16? Matthew 6.16. And this is what Jesus says. When you fast, do not look sober as the hypocrites do. Once again, the word for hypocrites is just an actor, somebody who wore a mask to portray themselves different than who they really are. Therefore, they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their um, reward in full. Now, fasting, if you look at Scripture, fasting is something that is never commanded by Jesus, but it was a way for people to draw closer to God. However, people often fasted. When they fasted, they would wear their old clothes. It'd be like us going into our closet, pulling up our old, most beat-up clothes and wear them and look like we're fasting. And all young folks, that might be the hip thing to do, right? You have all like these holes in your pants. But in my day, we didn't have holes in our pants, man. That was like, no, you're not taking care of your clothes. You'd never wear that, right? And, and so, but they would wear them. And they would look dirty. They would look soiled. Their hair would be all disheveled, right? And they would cover themselves with dirt and ashes. And even some of them used makeup to make themselves look like they were suffering. Why? So people could say, oh, look at you. You know, God bless you. You're fat. You must be fasting. I could tell by the way you look, you're fasting. Oh, God's going to bless you. You know, you're such a spiritual person. And that's what they were doing. It was all external. And Jesus knew it. Why? Because Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew their heart. And then he continues on. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head. Or when you fast, put gel in your hair. You know, don't look, look like your hair's all messed up. Put gel in it. You know, wash your face. Wash your face. Make it look good. Right? He said, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so, you know, that's kind of like obvious, right? And so they were viewing external things, you know, hypocritically. Like, hey, I'm just doing it to, you know, get the praise of others. But another form of, you know, and I don't see that going a whole lot in the church today. You know, here at Mission Valley, I don't, you know, I don't see it. I can't even think of an example where somebody here is doing it just for the praise of others. But I think there's another area of hypocrisy when we do these things that I think is a little bit more common, which includes myself. Is another form of hypocrisy is trying to manipulate God. Trying to manipulate God by giving to the poor, by praying, and by fasting. You know, God, if I fast more, we think that that puts God in a place where he's got to come through with our crest. If we just pray more, right? It doesn't matter that other people see, but then God is obligated to what? Cooperate with what I'm doing. You know, the Bible says give to the needy, give to the poor. Oh, I'm going to do that. But by doing that, there's something that I expect from God. And when you take a look at the hypocritical attitude that we have, I think it lies more in that than it does in us trying to show people what we're doing. But we all know that God cannot be manipulated. We cannot coerce God 
We cannot motivate God to do something that's not in his will. And one of the things that we have to come to the conclusion and really believe is that God's will is perfect. God's will is perfect. Our desires are, you know, questionable at best. But, you know, God's will for us is perfect. And he will only answer our prayers if they are what? Along his will, not ours. Because God's will for us, you know, is perfect. But, you know, there are biblical examples of fasting. You know, in Second Samuel twelve sixteen, King David fasted when his child was sick and was on the verge of, you know, dying because of, you know, the sin he committed with Bathsheba. He fasted. He wanted to seek the Lord. You know, in Esther 4, 15 to 16, you know, she fasted when she faced imminent danger. You know, there was this evil person in the kingdom who was trying to exterminate all the Jews. And Queen Esther knew about it. And being a Jew herself, she felt compelled to do something to try to save her people. And so she was going to go in to see the king. So what was so dangerous about that? In those days, if you went into the presence of the king without being invited, you could be executed for that. Even if you were the queen. If she went into the king's presence, with her husband's presence, without being invited, she could be executed. That was a capital offense. But she felt so strongly that she wanted to save and intercede her people that she was going to go to the king, even if it meant her sacrificing her life. Sometimes fasting is accompanied by repentance. You know, in Jonah we see this, where, you know, the Assyrians were just a wicked, wicked nation, And God sent Jonah to tell them to repent, right? To tell them to repent. And we know Jonah didn't want them to repent, so he turned the other way. And he didn't want to tell them that. He didn't want to give them God's message, but he did. And the king of Nineveh said that we are to fast. We are to fast because of our sin. Finally, fasting was sometimes accompanied before an important task or ministry. And we see this in Jesus where Jesus, before his ministry, fasted for 40 days. And so there are biblical examples of, you know, fasting. But fasting was never, ever, ever used to try to manipulate God into doing what we wanted. A fast is the self-denial of, a, of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend to God in prayer. It says a fast is the self-denial of normal necessities in order to intentionally attend God in prayer. You know, in those days, the most common um, form of fasting was physical, physical food that you refrain from eating, right? But even that, it was supposed to be replaced by spiritual food that we got through reading the scriptures and through prayer, You know, after Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was hungry. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And Satan tempted him and said, look, you know, if you're so hungry, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And what did Jesus say? He said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was famished, yet Satan was tempting him to abuse his power. And there's no doubt that Jesus could have done that. You know, we see later that he turned water to wine. 
He could have turned, you know, the rocks into bread. But that would have been an abuse of his power. He was weak. He was hungry. He was tired. But what did he realize? That sustenance following his father's will was more than just physical food. And that there's extreme value in the word of God. And fasting is always accompanied with prayer and scripture reading. Because the goal of fasting isn't to shed a few pounds. You know, as some people fast, if I fast, hey, it's better for my health. And yes, there are health advantages for fasting. But fasting is always accompanied with prayer and scripture. Why? Because we want to be able to get closer to God. And that's what we do for Lent. For those of you who know what Lent is, that is a period before Easter where people want to draw closer to God in preparation for their crucifix, remembering the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. And what they do is they give up certain things. And when they give up those certain things, it's supposed to allow them to what, focus more on God than these things. Right? And when I first started doing it, you know, I said, you know what, I'll give up red meat. I'll give up red meat. You know, so that whole period, I'm giving up red meat. And, man, this is hard. This is hard. Hey, but I made it through. Then it was, okay, I'll give up. Next year, I'll give up fried foods. You know, fried foods. Yeah, I could do that. But you know what the hardest thing was? One year, I was dumb enough to say, I'm going to give up driving in the fast lane. That killed me. Totally killed me. I remember a pastor friend and I, we were driving to Fresno for a funeral. We were just going to drive up that day, turn around, and drive back. And so it's during this Lent period. And I'm driving behind these slow trucks. And it's like, ah, I said I would give to the Lord this, that I made a promise that I would not drive in the fast lane. So for a while, I could do it. Then all of a sudden, I got so frustrated. I said, forgive me, Lord. And I just turned in fast and you know, stayed in the fasting all the way there. Why? Because it was hard for me to give that up. Now, some of you, when you think about food, that hey, I could give that up. I could give that up. Why? Because we live in a society today where we know our next meal's coming for the most part. We know it. We said, okay, I could give it up, knowing that maybe in eight hours, ten hours, or wherever, I'm going to be able to eat again. But how about fasting from something that really consumes us, that would be very difficult to do without, and that's technology. Fasting from technology. Did you know the uh, average American spends 24 hours online per week? That's one day online per week. Watches seven to eight hours per day watching TV. Now get this, between the ages of 18 and 29, they binge watch shows for five hours straight. I didn't even know what binge watching was until I looked it up on Google, I Google it. Um, But that's when you just watch all of these series just back to back to back to back, you know, for five hours straight. But get this, 99% who binge watch shows also text Browse the internet, online shop, email, and social media while watching TV. So here they're watching TV for five hours. But not only are they watching TV, they're texting, they're playing games on their phone, 
They're doing all of these other things. You know, so they're multitasking. I mean, come on, we all do that, right? I mean, for those of us, you know, like myself who has to watch, I love watching the same shows over and over and over again, which drives Grace nuts, you know. But, you know, when you're doing that, okay, I'm really not into it that much. So I'm watching, you know, Infinity Endgame for, I don't know, the hundredth time. You know, I'm texting. I'm, I'm playing games on the phone. I'm doing all, looking at email. But we're doing all of this stuff. But, you know, this impacts the way we communicate with God. Because we are now in a culture where we multitask, but we multitask in communication with God. I mean, how many of us have set out to do a quiet time, right? We're reading our scripture. Oh, what's this? Oh, text. Okay, boom. Okay, go back to reading the word and praying. And oh, what's this? Oh, you know, and we're doing that. We're trying to focus on God, but also the phone and all of these texting. And man, I've been in some of these chats that are just crazy. I cannot keep up with them. You know, it's like by the time I respond to one, it's like, 20 subjects ago. I'm just going, wow, this is crazy. Right? Try to spend time with the Lord when your phone's going off like that. And we all say, oh, no, it's not, it's not important. We all know it's not important. But what if it is? What if it's, this is one time when Michael was stranded somewhere and he really needed my help? That's never happened. Right? But when we're praying, we're reading scripture. Oh. You know, we're multitask. So we're talking to God and multitasking at the same time. We treat God like we treat um, technology. And it's not easy to give up, right? They said 18 to 29 year olds find it very hard to give up. When they say very hard, very hard means it's very hard for me to stay away from Tommy's when during the summer they have a buy one, get one free chili dog every time you go. Okay, that's very hard for me, right? And so 18 to 29-year-olds find it very hard to give up the Internet. 56% say it's very hard to give up the Internet. 52% say it's very difficult. They struggle to give up their cell phone. Some, um, they, they took a poll where they, some young people would rather give up their car than a cell phone. That is crazy to, for somebody in my generation. That is crazy to want to give up your car for a cell phone. But they'd find it. There's social media, 18%. TV, 16%. But you know what? When I was 18 to 29, we didn't have one through three on that list. The only thing I had was a TV. And on that TV, we only had, what, 13 or 14 channels and it was only on during a certain period. Now it's you get thousands of channels 24-7. But in his book, The Forgotten God, this is what Francis Chan says. Our intimacy with God is often caused, or excuse me, our lack of intimacy with God is often caused by our refusal to unplug and shut off communication from all others so we can be alone with him. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you were talking about something important? Then all of a sudden, zzz, zzz, oh, excuse me. Shh. Okay, go on. What were you saying again? Oh, I'm so sorry. Zzz, zzz. Oh, okay. Well, okay. What was that again? I'm sorry. I kind of forgot that. Or, or sometimes you get sidetracked and a person telling you something that's horrible and then you say, oh, that's good. <laughs> Why? Because you forgot about what they were saying. 
You're not focusing. And what he's saying here is that when we refuse to unplug from people, that really inhibits our intimacy with God. You know, the Bible says, Be still and know that I am God. In 1 Kings 19, 11-13, it says, The Lord said, and this is um, Elijah. Now, he's been running away from Jezebel, who's been trying to kill him. He's tired, he's worn out, and he just wants to die, right? He's tired of running. And then he meets, encounters God. He said, and the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Wow, when you're tired, when you're weary, and the Lord says, you know what? The presence of the Lord is going to be with you, and the presence of the Lord is going to pass by. You're ready for it. You're ready for this encounter with God. And says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. When Elijah heard God still small voice. There was no doubt in his mind that he heard God because he put his cloak on his face because he knew that if he saw the face of God, he could not stand God's glory. So he put that cloak over his face and he went outside to be with the presence of the Lord. You know, God may get your attention through the fire, through the wind, through the earthquakes, You know, maybe through trials, hardships, or suffering. Yes, God will get your attention that way. But when he speaks, he speaks in that still, small whisper. And the only way we could hear that is if we are still. We can't be multitasking. We can't be doing all of these things. Fasting from technology causes us to leave the virtual world of technology, which is computers, smartphones, internet, etc., in order to become present with God. You know, as you seek the Lord for wisdom, as you seek the Lord from guidance, from a God that's all-knowing, that from a God who's all-powerful, from a God whose will is perfect, and if you follow that will, it is perfect in your life. If you want to know that, you have to be able to calm yourself, to unplug from all of this noise, all of these distractions, you know, that you have. Because why? If you could fast from that, if you could pull yourself away from there and spend time slowly in scripture reading and prayer, that's where you encounter the presence of God. Now, when I do it, you know, God doesn't show up every single time. It's not like I do it and boom, you know, God shows up. But what it does, it shows my heart. It shows, you know, God, I care about you. God, I want to have a relationship with you. God, I want to spend time with you that's not interrupted by all these other things. This is just our time 
together. That shows my heart. That shows my heart towards God. God is a solution, not Google. You know, everything that you see on the internet, you know, it's not true all the time, right? But everything that comes from God, you know, it's true. Thy word is true. So what's our weekly challenge this week? Well, weekly challenge is uh, to read Matthew 6, 16 to 18 daily. And when I say daily, put your cell phones in another room. Turn off the TV, right? And then block. Okay, we're taking baby steps here. Block out three hours where you unplug from electric devices. Now, this is not three hours of nap time. You know, I'm going to plug and take a three-hour nap or go to bed. No, that's not what we're talking about. Pick a time in the day where you could just, okay, my cell phone, boom, is going in the drawer. TV off. Computer off. Everything off. Right? Um, and then just minimally spend one out of the three hours to pray and read your Bible. This is what I want you to do if you're a family. You know, pick a time when you could do that with the entire family. Shut off everything. You know, your kids, their Game Boys, their phones, their computer games. Shut it all down for three hours. Shut it all down. But maybe just spend some, that short period of time in prayer as a family. Spend a short period of time in Scripture reading as a family. But shut it down for them too. Shut it down for them too. Right? And so, I mean, don't pick, you know, if, don't pick a time where you might need your phone. Okay, because if your teenager's out doing something and they might need to call you, that's not a good time. But pick a time where you could unplug for three hours and say, you know what, Lord? This is going to be my time where I'm going to be praying and I'm going to be reading scripture. Because why? It's important to me that I have this time with you. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. That, Father, your will for us is perfect. And yet, Father, it amazes me how I could ignore that. To look to technology for, you know, answers and guidance when, Father, you are the living God. And, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness when I have done that. Father, I ask for forgiveness when I'm sitting there reading your word and multitasking. You know, when that text comes, Lord, instead of just ignoring it, Lord, I read it, interrupting our time together. And so, Father, as each one of us here are inundated with technology, Father, this week I pray that they'd be able to find a time That's a strategic time where they could unplug for three hours. Where they could remove themselves from the noise of this world. They could remove themselves from the cares and the activities and the planning. And just the mindless communication to spend time with you. Father, to draw close to you. Lord, we know it's not easy. But Father, I pray that that becomes more of the norm than it is something that we do 
every so often. So, Father, I thank you that you are with us always and that your presence, Father, is something that you've promised to each and every one of us. And yet, Father, we're the ones that need to be still. And I know that there are some people here that are probably going to have to make some pretty big decisions this week. Father, may they seek you out for their comfort, for their wisdom, for their guidance and direction. And not seek the wisdom of technology. In your son's name we pray. Amen.